Good morning, Orangewood. You may be seated. It's what a great time of worship. It is so good to be with. Thank you, worship team. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And we will begin with prayer in just a minute as we focus upon the wonderful name of Jesus. What a privilege it is to be back with you, to be here, and to worship all together. Is this an awesome thing or what? Huh? Wow. And you sing really well. You really do. And uh, what a wonderful thing it is to worship and to, and to focus on the matchless name of Jesus. You know, uh, I, I'm sorry that I have to be brought in in this kind of a circumstance when Tyler is exposed to C-19. And, uh, but on the other hand, uh, and I know he's got this message that has been burning in his soul, uh, and you're going to get that message. But he approved what I'm going to talk about today, so I just want you to know that uh, in advance. Um, but it is, a, it is a joy to be with. You know, several years ago, I had a student when I was an adjunct professor at RTS, and at the end of the semester, I said, you know, uh, anytime you need a reference, let me know. And he said, great, thank you. And he never took me up on it. Been a little bit bitter about that. His name is Tyler Groff. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, and he is here, and I knew that when, when he came, God was going to use him in a big way. I told you it would be good, right? And, and God has worked in a powerful way, and what a, what a privilege it is uh, to look into God's holy word with you today. Well, listen, before we do that, let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer, and, uh, and, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit again to prepare us. Our great God, how we thank you for your goodness how we thank you for the reality that your name, Lord Jesus, is matchless. You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are truly the awesome God of the universe, the only God there is. And we come into your presence today and we worship you. We give you praise and honor and glory. And we thank you that you have called us to be your children and all because of the work of Jesus. And so as we come into your presence today, we thank you for our pastor and for our staff and for our elders and for our deacons. We thank you for this church. I thank you for Orangewood and what you're doing and have done. Thank you for the children's ministry, the missions, every ministry, the school. Thank you for Orangewood Church. And I pray that you would continue to put your blessing upon this family and continue to build it for your glory. May we be a light in the community for you. But as we pray for Orangewood, we also pray for our denomination as they meet this coming week, and we ask for power and wisdom to prevail that the name of Jesus would expand. And so, Lord, as we look into your word today, we recognize, Jesus, that you're the head of the church, and we thank you for your holy word, and we pray that as we look in it today, that you would be our teacher. So we pray for the one who teaches, that you'd forgive him his sins. Use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth that you would be our focus today. For we pray in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, the text that uh, we're going to look at is in Acts chapter 17. Paul alone in Athens. And I am well aware that there are more qualified people to teach on this text in this particular church on what goes on in Athens. Uh, Joe Creech could do a much better job. He was busy yesterday, didn't have a chance to get ready, so Tyler uh, called me. But Joe could do better on this. You have a connection with Athens that is absolutely amazing. 
But nevertheless, uh, that's the text we're going to be dealing with today in Acts chapter 17, game on. And the big question that we want to deal with today is the question, how in the world do we stay, using an athletic metaphor, game on? How, how do we stay in promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we stay motivated when the world around us is filled with chaos? Chaos and conflict, and, and it's been that way for the last couple of years, hasn't it? Oh my, I thought it would get better immediately. It didn't get better immediately. This has uh, been spread out there. And as we look in the text today, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul models how God's people can deal with the chaos of a changing, radically different culture uh, that, that we head into. And there is chaos. Tyler's not here today with a text in the Minor Prophets, and some of you came ready to hear Micah, okay? Sorry, next week maybe. Um, but but, but, but uh, we're still dealing with this virus. My son-in-law, Davis Anderson, came down with it a couple of days ago. I hadn't seen him, so I'm cool. Uh, I'm not infected, don't worry. Uh, but, uh, but he's got it, he's sick at home, doing all right. Uh, pray for him. Um, my friend, but there's chaos everywhere. It seems like everywhere you look, one of the men uh, that comes to the ministry I'm a part of uh, made seven. He's, he made seven hundred thousand dollars in sales last year. Not that wasn't his personal income. Seven hundred thousand dollars in sales all of last year. Hundred thousand this year. He he's had health issues too. He comes walking into our ministry with this far away look in his eyes. Say, Bill, how you doing? I don't know. Chaos. It's, it seems like it's, it's everywhere. Uh, but business owners, business owners can't find workers or they got to pay uh, a, a bunch to get it. How do we keep positive game on no matter what? And as I've been reading this text, I, I realize that the Apostle Paul models for us and uh, how, how we stay positive in the midst of a, a radically changing culture that we have to deal with. So let me give you just a little bit of history. Some of you have been reading the book of Acts. You know, of course, you've been in the Minor Prophets. So, uh, but, but, but you know what's going on in Acts. Let me give you a little bit of background, and then we'll jump into the text. I'll read it, and we'll unpack it. But in, you might remember that in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul jumps into the second, what do we call it? Second missionary journey. He jumps into the second missionary journey, and the first one was primarily in what we call Asia Minor today, but Turkey. Uh, and, and so he was, he was uh, going through Turkey in the, the first missionary journey. In the second missionary journey, he heads in the same direction, and it's absolutely amazing because he walks 400 miles all the way to Troas before he really knows where he's supposed to minister. Uh, 400 miles, when you think of Troas near the uh, Greece side of Asia Minor, 400 miles, uh, Troas, the old Troy, uh, you know, Helen of Troy, Trojan horse, that area. He gets there and finally God gives him a vision. And the vision is a man from Macedonia in Northern Greece saying, come over here, come over here and help us. And I, I think there's so, so much poetic justice in this. The Apostle Paul walks 400 miles before God tells him what he's supposed to do. I mean, isn't that just like God? Isn't it just like God? Uh, God brings clarity often when he's ready to, for us to have clarity, not when I'm ready to have clarity. 
And it's a principle that, that has not lost on me because I have control issues, I want you to know. And some of you share with me control issues. And what I've been learning is that God has control. I have control issues, but God has control. So 400 miles into the deal, uh, he finally says, all right, Paul, where I want you to go is, is Greece. Let's head over there. So he heads over there and he goes to the first city. What's the first city? Anybody know? It's the city of, Mas well, in Macedonia, it's Philippi. Think, if you think of Philippi, think of a Roman, a Roman city. It's a colony city. It's a, it's, it's a little Rome in a Greek city. And he goes in there and he preaches the gospel. And is he effective? Wildly beyond his imagination. Uh, he gets converts. He casts out a demon out of a young girl who was making money for her owners. And, uh, and then Paul gets thrown in jail because of it, right? And so you, you, if you cannot make up Acts chapter 16. It's absolutely fascinating what happens there in the book of Philippi. And so he and Silas, Paul's a very good friend of mine. And I think before this second journey, he took Silas aside and said, listen, I need a teammate that's going to be reliable. You come with me. We're going to have adventures for Jesus. It's going to be great. Potential trouble. Little did he know that one night he'd be sitting with his back beaten in stocks in a prison in Philippi. But that's what happened. And, 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 so, and so finally, uh, the next morning, they come back to get him out of that prison, right? The, the leaders. But he'd led the Philippian jailer to Christ, midnight baptism, all kinds of cool things. Was it immersion? I don't know. For you Presbyterians, it was probably sprinkled. I don't know. But the reality is, is a midnight baptism. And, 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 some, and then the next day, he's back in jail. And the city fathers say, well, let him go. And the jailer says, you're free. And he says, uh-uh, you got to come to me. Just love how Paul does that. And then he goes, he goes, because you see, he was effective in Philippi. He got converts, but he also got, what's the C word that goes along with that? Conflict. Yeah. And so, and so his uh, team uh, sends him into another city. He goes south. Uh, and from there, he goes to Thessalonica, 94 miles south. Is he successful in Thessalonica? The answer is, I know you've been in the minor prophets. You haven't been reading Acts. Uh, yes, he was successful. Converts, was there, was there conflict? Yep, conflict. And then they kick him out of there, and, and, he, and he goes on down to Berea, and they start the first Bible study fellowship class right there in Berea, community Bible study. They love to study the Bible. It started there. And, uh, and th but then he got more conflict, and they kicked him out. And finally, his, his team said, Paul, you're going to Athens, and they, and they send him on a 222-mile trip where he goes to Athens, and they go back, they go back uh, to Berea to do some follow-up work. Paul goes to Athens alone, and that's where we find him. That's a long introduction to the text that we have. But Paul is alone in Athens. What's he going to do? Here's the text. I'm just going to start with a few of these verses. Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... After having all that reality of conflict as well as success, and by the way, that is the world in which we live, isn't it? The world in which we live, the missionary journeys of Paul are a microcosm of what we experience. Christianity's messy. The extension of the gospel is messy. Why? Because everywhere we go, there's conflict and converts, there's success and struggle. There's glory and there's agony. 
It's messy. While Paul is alone in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all and we get a cultural insight here in this last verse, in verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. This is God's holy word, and we're going to unpack it, and I'm going to read some more as we go. But the big idea that I want you to get is that here's Paul alone in Athens. What does he do? He says, my team is not here. What do I do? Well, he does what he does, right? And that is he begins to evangelize. And so uh, the big idea from this is that what we learn from the Apostle Paul is that it seems like he was always game on for the gospel. He was always ready to go to promote and present the gospel. I am not always game on. Um, are you? I mean, it is, isn't it challenging to always be ready what does Peter say? Always be ready to, to, to give an explanation for the hope that is within you. Am I always ready? No. I, uh, Doug Paul wrote this. He said, we are on an exponential curve in American culture. He says that every 18 months, culture completely shifts. He says, in other words, we're feeling the amount of change every 18 months that used to take 20 years. Do you feel that? I do. I, it's, it, it, for an old guy, it's crazy. It's like, that's moving too fast. Alvin Toffler, however, uh, uh, prophesied this in the 1970s, that culture shock would happen and our culture would move faster than we could ever uh, anticipate in keeping up with it. And so I, I want you to understand that the only way we can stay game on and stay in it as ministry is so, uh, so messy and culture is so chaotic, the only way we can stay in it is following what Paul did. And the first motivation, what I see he did was that he had motivation. I love that. Look in verse 16. Paul stayed game on because he had motivation. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was, what's the word? Provoked. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, here's a picture of the Parthenon uh, in, 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 in Athens. And this was one of my personal pictures that I took when I was there in 20... No, it's not. I got it off the internet. But uh, I, I was there in 2019. This is a Joe Creech quality picture. But uh, I, this, is, this is what, what, what grasped grasp the attention of everybody coming into Athens because... There it is, and it was made in uh, 420 BC. Uh, and everywhere in Athens, this, this was the temple to Athena, 
the goddess of war, the, god the goddess of victory, the goddess of handicrafts, and the goddess of peace. I don't know how all that goes together, but there it is. But when Paul went into Athens, like if you and I drove into Athens, this is what we'd see. And, 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 and there were gods and statues of gods everywhere. It was said in Athens that you were, if you went to Athens, you were more likely to see a god than a human being because statues were everywhere. They were everywhere. And, uh, and by this time, uh, when Paul gets there in about 51 AD, we're at the post uh, uh, the, the post history of Athens. Athens, there's only about 20,000 people in Athens at this point. Contrast that with Corinth, there's 100,000 people in Corinth. And so Athens is a backwater, southern, not southern, it's a backwater, I almost made an anti-college approach. I, it, it's a backwater college town. Um, that's kind of what it was. It was an intellectual center at that point. People still came there to study philosophy. It was still important, but it was not that important commercially. And so when Paul went there, this was the focus of what, of what he saw. And he saw gods everywhere, and it provoked his spirit. It irked him. And it irked him so much, not just because he was a Jew raised on monotheism, the belief that there was only one God. It irked him because he had been in the temple precincts in Israel, in Jerusalem, and had seen the worship and the sacrifices and the smoke rising to the one true God. Uh, but, but he met the one true God on the road to Damascus. He had also been elevated to the third heaven, and he had seen the risen Savior. He had seen things that couldn't even be utterable. And so this provoked Paul to his core, particularly as he looked at all these idols and the temple to Athena that he knew was pure myth and, 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 and was put forward by the demons of the day. And, and I realized as I thought about this, that this was actually his motivation for keeping game on, keeping in. Even though he didn't have his team, this is the motivation. He had such a high view of God and God's glory. We sang about that this morning. He had such a high view of the glory and goodness of God and the grace of Christ in the cross that it totally bothered, irked, provoked his spirit. And here's what I've learned. It ought to do that for us as Christians today. It ought to do it. False gods ought to do that to us. Idolatry ought to have the same effect with us. We ought to be provoked. We ought to be irked. It ought to frustrate us. John Calvin famously said, didn't he, that we are idol factories and that we tend to produce idols over and over and over again. Uh, idols are anything that is a God substitute. We talk about that a lot. But but idols always overpromise and underdeliver. They never have any power. Demons love to, to, to sneak their power through an idol and, and, and then trip us up and control us. And we tend to follow idols as well today. But the more we see God like Moses saw God, the more we see God like Isaiah saw God, the more we see God in his glory in the word, the more we are going to be provoked uh, like Paul uh, as we 
focus on the truth of Jesus. And that's what motivates him to go to his next step. Because once you see the truth, you can't unsee it. Once you see the glory of God, you cannot backtrack and go to the supposed glory of an idol. You know, the older I get, the more communion is not about your sin, but it's more about my sin. The longer I focus upon who God is, the more I'm irked at my own sin and my own tendency to go after idols and not other people's tendency to go after idols. But idols abound around us, don't they? And, uh, and the reality is the idols of government, the idols of utopianism, the idols of success, money, sex, power, well, those idols always under-deliver and over-promise. So that led Paul to the next step. My team's not here. I got to do something. He's motivated because of the glory of God. And so he jumps into his method. And his method is a tried and true method. But catch this. It works for Paul. It may not work for you, but it worked for Paul. And I want you to get the general principle here because what he does in verses 17 through 21 is he goes right into the synagogues and begins to reason with the Jews, right? We read that text. And then he also, on, uh, when he's not uh, in the synagogue, he goes into the agora, the marketplace, or he goes, into, uh, uh, he goes up to Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and he reasons with the philosophers. Here's a picture of the Areopagus. Now, this is a picture uh, and, uh, that I, I took, or my friend of mine, actually a friend of mine, I, can't, I, I cannot take pictures. My friend took it, but this was 2019, the Areopagus. See that, see that hill that you're looking at? is down from, from the Parthenon up on the top. And so what, what, what the Areopagus was, was the, was the leading men of the city would go there and they'd, uh, the intellectuals, they would reason, they would talk, they would discuss. Remember we said they'd go back and forth on finding anything new. And so Paul was down in there and again, they brought him to that place and he interact, interacted with them in that place. When Paul was provoked, what did he do? He employed a method, and the method was to tell the gospel. Notice, he did not post on Instagram. Notice, he didn't get all ticked off and say something on Facebook. He didn't go off on a rant. He didn't. I love that about him. He, did, he, didn't, he controlled himself, and in this, what we see here is a very controlled response to being provoked. If you get provoked because of the gospel, and that's okay, by the way. If you get provoked because of idols, this is the way to respond. He got his method, and he went, and he started interacting. He interacted with the Jewish leaders. Now, you say, that's Paul. And Paul was an intellectual, and you're right. Your PhD equivalent, studied under Gamaliel. I mean, he was multilingual, Greek, Aramaic, uh, uh, Latin. He was, he, he, was, he was a sharp guy. And, and, and so he could interact with these guys. He knew Greek philosophy backwards and forwards. He was raised in Asia Minor. He wasn't raised in Israel. He was raised under the Roman gods and the Greek gods. He knew all that stuff. And so that, catch this, his method worked for him because he was Paul. Now, if we had two more hours, and I promised somebody before the sermon they asked me how long this was going to be, and I said, well, I, I understand their time restraints. So 
30 minutes. Don't look at your watch. If you think it stopped, it hasn't. I'm going to end on time. But the reality is if we had more time. I'd love to talk to you about Epicurean philosophy and Stoic philosophy. It's fascinating. It's interesting, but it misses the point. The point is, Paul was who he was, and so he was able to take the message of the gospel through who he was, and he had a method, a personal method that worked for him in presenting Jesus to the people around him, and we can have the same thing. All of us can have the same thing. All of us. You have gifts. This is an amazingly talented church. You have training and expertise that others don't have. You have amazing abilities to reach out to people. And so the, 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 the principle here that I think is so amazing is that in the midst of chaos of a culture gone crazy, here Paul in a cross-cultural situation, what does he do? He has his method that works in his context. Just like my young friend uh, Drake who's part of our ministry. He's a WWE wrestler. Do you all know what that is? How many watch WWE? I want to see if there's any honest people in this room. <laughs> Not one hand has gone up. WWE is that kind of wrestling where you wonder, is that real? No, let me tell you, it's not, okay? But Drake, it's not. But Drake is ripped. He's an athlete and he can do stuff I never, never could do and uh, I'd never take him on one-to-one. -one. Okay, there it is. And you know what he does now that he's a Christian? He's wrestling again. He wrestled yesterday. I haven't found out I, I, how it went. He, 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 he was WWE on TV. If you ever watch that and you ever admit that in your more honest moments, you'd, you'd see him. What he does is he wrestles now so he can fight sex trafficking and talk about Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. My other friend, El, who could tie me in knots. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert. And uh, he teaches young kids Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He uses what he is and who he is to talk about Jesus. And then I have some other friends that can't do any of that. And they mentor young... What, is, what gifts do you have? Where, through your way. Don't try to be Paul. I love this. The motivation is that we see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it continues to motivate us. And when the chaos of our culture sometimes makes us cynical and want to walk away, uh, the, the, it says, well, what's your method? What's your method? Now, you got to make a connection, and that's the third point, and that's what Paul does in verse 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, that's Mars Hill, that's that hill. It's also called Mars Hill or Ares Hill. Ares is the Greek name for the god Ares, right, Joe? And Mars Hill is the Roman name, right? Okay, there, thank you. I told you he could preach this better. But So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I wonder, is Paul being sarcastic with all these gods, or is he just... I don't know. You're very religious, for I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. I love that. You see, what he did was he was able to, to take some, make some bridge to his audience. And so as we present the God, you know, you and I say, I'm not Paul. I don't have a seminary degree. I can hardly even talk about Jesus. Yes, you can. But you got to find a bridge. 
And, and Paul's bridge was the unknown God, and they had many of those statues to the unknown God. And so he just brilliantly says, Here, here's, the, here's, here's the bridge. I, years ago, and it was so long ago, I should have forgotten this by now, back in college, I'll never forget being given a book called Peace Child, written by Don Richards. And Don Richards was a missionary who had studied the, the, some of the tribes and they realized he couldn't make connection with them. He didn't know how to make a connection with them, but these tribes were constantly warring against each other, constantly fighting each other. And they realized, but they had a principle and he was watching how they were gonna settle these conflicts. And one day he realized, <clears throat> because one guy in one tribe finally said, enough of the warfare, and he took his child that had just been born and they had a tribal interface meeting with another tribe and he took his, his baby and he gave it to the other tribe. And this child was called the peace child. And then later he wrote a book, not only talking about peace child, but another book uh, in, in, entitled Eternity in Their Hearts in which he made the point that every culture has redemptive analogies to which we can bridge the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate peace child. What's your bridge? Maybe it's telling your story into the life of somebody else. Mine is, I work with men. Mine's father, father stuff. I, I, I just, I'm talking with a guy, and you know, when you meet a guy, you say, hey, what's your name? Second thing is, what do you do? And, and we start talking, and eventually, if I, if I have the opportunity, I'll say, hey, tell me about your dad. You want to see a conversation starter or stopper? That's my bridge. You have a bridge. You have a way to make a connection. But then what Paul does is he shows us that not only his motivation of the glory of God and the wonder of the gospel that provoked him so much gave him a method of con to connect with people, but then the bridge in which he got the conversation started at some point, because you see, you got to talk about Jesus at some point, don't you? Somebody said, and I think it was Mother Teresa, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. That doesn't fly according to the New Testament. And I've just committed heresy by saying that Mother Teresa didn't cut it at that point. But at some point, I gotta tell them about Jesus. And so what Paul does is he moves in in verses 24 through 34. Let's look at this briefly, and then you can unpack it a little bit more on your own later. But this is fascinating, because he gets into the message he goes from their God to the God, and he starts in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor, he's right looking at the biggest, one of the biggest temples in the ancient world, and he says, God is not there. He's giving them a lesson in theology. I love this. Uh, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind a life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. I love this. Don't you like Paul's boldness here? What does he do? He goes from their God to the God. And, and guys, one of the things that I'm coming to see is that gods are everywhere in the United States, aren't they? They're everywhere, and there are statues to the unknown God everywhere around us. And we just need to know the gods of the person that we're talking to. Money, sex, power, influence, a new home, fixing up their home, a new home if you can get a new home. Hey, if you can get a piece of drywall, for crying out loud, for less than what, 100 bucks? Is it the, what, what is a person, see, See, God knows my gods, my God substitutes. But what I'm seeing too is that I, I, everybody has these God substitutes and all I gotta do is I spend a little time talking with them, I can find out what their God is and then I can transition from their God to the God. And I love how Paul does that in an amazing way. Does that take some boldness? That's where you're gonna have to step up your faith game a little bit. Uh, because uh, the, the push comes there. But then, but then he takes them from the God to the Savior. He goes from theology to soteriology. He goes from the God who is to the God who saves. And he says in verse 30, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance by, to all by raising him from the dead. Paul utters some words here that are really challenging because he says, yeah, now that I've taken you from your God to the God, and I'm going to take you from the God to the Savior, you need to understand that Jesus is the only way and the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God but by him. And that's at that point. See, this is, this is rubber meets the road kind of stuff. Justice is coming. He talks about Jesus. He doesn't really get to talk about the substitutionary atonement here, but he utters the word resurrection. Did you know that every sermon in the book of Acts gets to the resurrection of Jesus? Why? That's the deal. If the resurrection of Christ didn't happen, then he didn't pay for our sins. If, Jesus, if a dead man didn't get up and walk, it's not real. But it is. It's real. And so Paul gets to that point, lays it out there. I'm not saying you should do this while you're waiting for your double latte at, at Starbucks, okay? This is when you sit down at the table and you have some opportunity to talk then you can start moving it into this. But Paul lays it out, and I love that we're good news tellers, we're not heart transformers. And so he goes uh, to their response to God's response, and with this, we'll, we're done. Verse 32, when they'd heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with 
them. I love this. There's conflict, there's struggle, there's chaos in our culture. And what do we do? You're God's people and you are the light of the world. Orangewood is a great place. Invite them here. Realize, realize that when Paul presented the gospel at some point and they got to the resurrection, they, will say, they looked at him and they said, you are an idiot. And they might say that toward you. And then you smile and you just say, well, that's what Christians believe. And tell them about Jesus and recognize that what Paul gives here is a great model. When they criticize him, what does he do? Fight back? He gets up and walks out. So he doesn't fight it because he believes in a sovereign God. Will there be effect? We want to change our culture. Can we have impact? Yep. You are having impact. This church is having impact. You will continue to have impact as we are good news tellers, learning from Paul how to be captured by the glory and majesty of Christ. To be motivated to love those people who think we're idiots. To find a way to segment, segue the gospel to Jesus and to unpack it and then to leave it in God's hands knowing that God is the one who changes hearts. I love that. I love that. And that's what this is for me. I am less angry than I used to be. Of course, I watch less news than I used to watch. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm much less critical than I used to be. Depending on who you ask. But I'll tell you this, I am more captured by who Jesus is. And I realize that all that matters is Jesus. Just finished a book, Last Stands, uh, about uh, how the uh, Swiss soldiers saved the Vatican. That's, it's one of the stories in the book. And, 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 and how the Swiss soldiers to this day protect the Pope. You know they do that, right? Do you know any of the names of any of those Swiss soldiers who protected the Pope way back in whenever that happened? Do you know any of their names? Neither do I. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. In the last stand in Stalingrad, there's this quote, fought to the death, not by great men, but by common ones, elevated to greatness. In the 1930s, when Hitler, the 40s, when Hitler was attacking Stalingrad, it was the common soldier from Russia who fought the elite troops and protected the city. That is the gospel, that Jesus Christ saves sinners, very common people like us, and that, and that this great message gets incorporated in us, and that somehow we make it known. Common people who the Lord of the universe uses to do uncommon things. And then he comes back and cleans up the mess. If you don't know Jesus, this is your first time here today. I'm going to be up here. I'd love to talk to you because you need to know him. Let's bow our heads and hearts.
Father, thank you for this great church family. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you for the reality of what you're doing in this, in this church home. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the central figure of this place. And I pray that in every way, in every shape, in every form, you would be glorified in our hearts, that our idols would be dethroned, and that you would give us the gentle boldness like Paul had here in Athens to bring the good news of the gospel to so many. Be honored and be glorified as we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.